This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Yanni Barakas. It was recorded at Mason Dixon Distillery in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Mason Dixon Distillery and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, F.A. Nation, let's meet our guest. He's Yanni Barakas. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here. And this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. We are so excited. We are in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and we get to sit down with Mason Dixon Distillery. And this has been a long time coming. I know that right before the COVID stuff hit, uh, we were talking about trying to get together. Things kind of got in the way, but we are so happy and uh, blessed to have you on the podcast today, Yanni. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. So, Mason Dixon Distillery, how did all this get started? All right, here we go. Uh, it got started when I was 11 years old. Uh, built my first still. Um, Wait, 11 years old, you built your first that's still? That's correct. Okay, because yes. that's what every 11-year-old is, is doing. That is a detail when we when I originally set out to find funding that some of the uh, underwriters thought might speak to a character flaw, okay. uh, which was amusing <laughs> to me. Second generation born in this country. My family all immigrated here from Greece right after World War II. Um, we are from tiny remote villages tucked away in the mountains, uh, and I think in the best, absolute best sense of the word, heritage is hillbilly. Um, I say that you grow what you need, you make what you need, you repair what you got, you survive by your immediate community around you, and not the outside world. Um, so was asking my grandfather about growing up in Greece, he was answering me questions, eventually they talked about making wine, and what they would do with the leftover pressings is run them through something he was describing to me as a pot. And they would turn it into Tsipiro, which is Greek moonshine, really similar to Italian grappa. Uh, something I'm going to make at some point. I was going to ask you, that sounds like something nobody's making. Grape juice is so expensive. <laughs> I, so I'll probably just have to make some, and it's going to cost what it costs, and I may drink half of it, and that'll be okay. And keep a little bit behind the bar and say, when people come in, you got to taste this. Well, then, you know, you want to do that, and they're like, yeah, I should probably really age some of this, too, because it would be phenomenal. So... It, it, it will happen. Uh, so, asked him a lot of questions. He sketched this out. I was asking more questions. Eventually, he stopped answering questions because, almost verbatim, you're 11 years old. You don't need to know anymore. Uh, but I was always very hands-on, very... Uh, I like to tinker and build things and take things apart. And as I got older, I got better at putting them back together. Uh, so, went home, 11 years old, built my first still, parents' garage, ran it a couple times before I got caught. I got caught, and I was making tsipiro from Welch's grape juice and bread yeast. 
Uh, so I'd ferment it. So you went and got Fleischmann's, basically, uh-huh. and you got the Welch's, uh-huh. and you just uh-huh. stuck in the pot? Yep. Now, what was the still made out of? Oh, the first one. Because I don't, I don't imagine one. you're hand-hammering your own copper. Well, no. The first one, I thankfully, didn't have many iterations because I actually won't repeat the design in detail because it probably should have blown up and killed somebody. Uh, there was a lot of glass involved. There okay. was, like, salsa what'd jars. What you do? The pressure tubes. cooker? and <laughs> yeah, Well, so that was the second version, which I found to be a much safer version. There's a pressure cooker in line. And, you know... Uh, See, why isn't Vendome making... Like, like they have the, 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 the home-baked oven, the Susie bake oven? Yeah. Why isn't Vendome making a, a home-baked distillery, a home-distilled distillery? Like I, kids. I, well, I, mostly probably because it's be a felony if you get caught. Um... <laughs> Past that, I mean, I guess there's people that are doing things saying like it's perfume and whatnot. But yeah, no, distilling at home is illegal. Uh, yeah. Some people send, think that depending on what state you're from, you can do it. It's not. It's felony across the board. Not allowed to distill at I'm home. I'm making an essential oil. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is not me preaching. This is just me. Like, I can't preach because I did. Uh, yeah. So uh, the reason I got 11 caught. 11 years old. 11 years old. Uh, the reason I got caught was I was using a camping stove, uh, like white fuel, and it leaked and it caught on fire. And I opened the door to yell inside to my mother, who eventually came down. But by the time my mother came down, all she found was puddles of fire in the driveway. I poured my cooling water on it to put it out, which... Flared up. 11 years old. Well, it kind of went out, and then it floated back up, and it relit. The flames were real tall. (laughs) Uh, And then my next stroke of genius was to take a push broom and sweep it all outside. So when my mother came down, she just looked at me and just said, What did you do? And... I've always been a little bit of a habitual boundary pusher and maybe a little bit of a smart aleck. Uh, I told her I saved the house from burning down. Nice. She was less than amused. She called my father, who had a diner at the time. He got home late that night, early that morning, woke me up, asked me what happened. I told him. Uh, I, I, when he woke me up, I expected a very unpleasant conversation. Instead, what I got was an early morning trip to the store. He bought me an electric hot plate, helped me buy that pressure cooker, some copper lines, said, keep it outside. Wow, he, he, he actually promoted your creativity ingenuity. Correct. Now, whether he did that because he knew I was probably going to do it anyway, or whether he did that because first generation born here, he had no idea it was illegal to do it, I cannot say, <laughs> nor will he say, uh, but that's where it started. So, distilled for a while, on and off, um... How did you? I mean, this is fascinating to me. How did you graduate from Welch's grape juice to and, and Fleischmann's, you know, yeast? What did you start to source for for your product after so that? I, now that you kind of got permission to do it. So I would, it doesn't mean like I that I turned it into this commercial operation. Like I wasn't selling it, I wasn't distributing it. It was just well, it, was it was just for you. Was and, go, yeah, I was going to tinker with some stuff. Yeah. Uh, so really, that was where it stayed for a while. It was basically grape juice and bread yeast for a while. Um, Fast forward a little bit, a couple years later, I decided to make some beer at home, and I made beer at home, then I found out about different strains of yeast and the influences they can have on flavor and alcohol. So that's when we started to get a little bit more involved. Okay. Um, and then kind of walked away from it a while. I uh, <laughs> built one at school in my buddy's room that we ran a couple times, and when he moved in, I don't know, it was junior year. It was in- you must have been the most popular kid in in school then, I'm, I'm thinking, at that point. No, because, again, it was just, it wasn't, like, I wasn't busting out a party. It was just two dudes just, hanging out, building stuff. Like, okay. It was, it was just a thing. <laughs> uh, also, not widely advertised, because at that point, we kind of knew that maybe it was It's still not really something you should be doing. Correct. Uh, when he was moving in, I think junior year was in a box outside of his dorm room as he was moving in, and uh, campus security found it and confiscated it. They never found out whose it was, but it was 
fun because it was in the police blotter in the school newspaper that they confiscated a meth lab. So, oh, so, so you're breaking bad. Right. So we, uh, and from there, that's kind of, for a long time, that's where it ended. Um, graduated college. I had worked a summer job for a general contractor, found out about project management, wanted it um, badly, pursued it for a while. A couple years later, ended up becoming assistant project manager, ended up becoming a junior project manager. And two weeks after I get my first project, um, which shame on me for not remembering the name of the town, but it would have been out your way. It was a fire station somewhere off of 100. Okay. And um, two weeks into it, so I didn't get to see much of it at all. Got in my car accident. Um, that put me in bed for two years. I was told to stay there, go on disability, that I would uh, never work again. And that was that was really difficult. Uh, I would say, like right now, uh, COVID, very difficult as well, but entirely different. That was my own, I, I describe it as being essentially bedridden. I was in constant pain. Being upright made it even worse. And just doctor after doctor saying, well, maybe this is just the way it's going to be. I eventually found another doctor who sent me to another doctor who got me on a path. Outwardly, I know I look okay. Inwardly, still real jacked up. Um, and distilling was always something I wanted to do, but I figured later in life, working in retirement, maybe an employee or two, curmudgeon of an old man, cursing at children for being on his lawn, always drinking a little bit, was how I envisioned this going down. Uh, instead, fast forward a little bit, I, I know distilling is a lot of work, followed by no work, followed by a lot of work, followed by no work, and this is just over the course of the day. At the time, the only thing that brought me any relief to my pain was to lay down, get horizontal. Didn't make it go away, but it lessened it. So I figured that would, that sounds like distilling, be upright, do some work. And just kind of lay, lay down? down. Yeah. So I was like, you I got can, you got time to things for, to ferment, you get, you get yep. the still working, yep. so there's those up and down times, right? That's it. So... I figured this was perfect. And then I remembered that still sometimes I'm, I used to get shots every quarter and those shots would put me in bed all over again for two weeks. And then they'd give me about two months or so of great. Then two weeks in bed. I was like, well, we kind of probably need to make this thing big enough where I have some staff uh, because me lifting things even now, but especially then not good. The, the more physically I did, the worse my day went. So I figured uh, if I had people to help share the load, I could do this. Started to put a plan together. At that time, my father had an opportunity to sell to his partner. So we brought in the restaurant portion and uh, just got to work honing in a business plan. Eventually, uh, trying to find where I wanted to go. So how did – yeah, I mean my question is how did you pick Gettysburg and and what was the – was it just because of what was available at the time, the, the, the location? Serendipity. Uh, my best friend from high school had moved here after college. He knew what I was looking to do. He let me know that the National Park Service had some ag leases available, some agricultural leases. I thought, wouldn't that be amazing if I could distill grain grown on Gettysburg National Military Park and put it into bottles? I thought that in time that would give it some staying power and some uniqueness. And provenance and that, all that. All, all of it. I view it as, uh, and I have yet to do an exclusive batch where it's 100% off the battlefield, and that'll be something that happens later on. And that, to me, is going to be an accessible way for people to take home part of a national park with them legally. And I had to do some talking to get that lease because I grew up working on a farm and for my father, the restaurant, but I am not a farmer myself. And apparently the national park service normally gives ag leases to farmers. So that was a couple of phone calls. They ended up choosing me to do it. We got to work farming and then I quickly realized I need a building to, to bring it all come harvest time. So 
some searching, found this place, fell in love with it. I was the only one. My mother cried the first time I brought her in, and the only thing she said was give it back. <laughs> give it back? Okay. Uh, there was no running water in here. Right. It's, it's just no a, sewer. Yeah, yeah, it's, we're here on the loading dock. I mean, yep. this is an industrial area. Yep. But you had a vision. I did. You knew what you wanted it to look like. I did. Yeah. And then I got in here and just started the process. Took a year and a half. Had a lot of hoops to jump through. I went over, I think... Last time I tried to count it, I went to over 36 banks until I got somebody to say yes. So what year are we talking as far as um, accessing the agriculture, uh, accessing this bill, uh, you know, bringing that all, all on board? So I guess we'd fall somewhere in 2014 because day one was maybe the end of 2014 is when I got my lease here. And so beginning a little bit before that would have been ag lease. We opened July 1st, 2016 was first day of business. July 1st, 2016. But what was the day you actually fired up your still for the first time and produced Something. Probably about six months before that. Six months before. So you're talking end December, somewhere January into December. And that still at that time almost sank my whole business. Why is that? It was direct fired. Had flames underneath it, which I wasn't super keen on, but it was what I could afford at that time. Uh, The manufacturer made a lot of promises to me, and none of them came true. It started burning every batch. Yeah, so everything, your heat is directly on the bottom with a jacket. And the steam, you've got everything around, so, so I'm you're also, burning. You're burning grain. I'm actually not steam jacketed now. Okay. What I did was I converted it to steam injection. So I had to. Uh, I didn't beg, but I, I had to ask for more money from the bank because we were about tapped out. That 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 realization and that happening with that cost me about three months. So I had to build a steam boiler, get it piped, figure out how to get that inspected, do all that fun jazz. Um, did you have any help with all this? Because it sounds like you're you're very you you you're very cerebral. You come up with an idea, you have a plan in your head, and then you start to put that in place yep. and initiate it. But through all this time, in 2014, there are a lot of distilleries in, enough in the area that there's some help. Where no, nothing, no resources. You did this. Just I had gone to a couple conventions, distilling conventions. I had talked to. Uh, probably the single best thing I did was I had gone to a bunch of distilleries early on and any and taken as many tours as I could. And anybody who had had the time, I would try to ask two questions. Uh, and if I only had time for one question, the question would be is, what is something you wish you would have done differently? Okay. And then the other question would be is, what is something you're really happy that you did? The amount of knowledge you could glean from that and start to put it together. I mean, I remember the first person to answer that question. They Their answer of what is something they wish they would have done was, put my equipment in order from left to right because I mean it sounds super simple but when you're trying to build out a room you're like oh this tank will fit great here this will fit there that'll so just put everything left to right and that same person also told me the worst thing they did was put epoxy on their floor so I was like no epoxy on floors because <laughs> eventually it gets chipped up and it comes up like minor but also important epoxy would have been several thousand dollar waste um so that's where I got a lot of that, but when it came time to, to who put what, who puts what where, and what we're getting from whom, right here, um, right here. It was even there was uh, distilleries, you know, still even now, still new. And I was telling my architect where to where to reference, cert, find certain pieces of code to let everybody know we could be doing what we're doing, and that was information I had gathered from some conferences. Uh, I did a short apprenticeship at Smooth Ambler in West Virginia. Okay. Um, and that was probably, that was good for me. It was even better for my father, who was my partner at the time in this, um, because his immediate response when I told him I wanted to open a distillery was, 
his very first one was no, get a job and work for somebody else. You don't want to run your own business. Uh, two was we don't know anything about distilling. You don't know anything about distilling. So Even my, though there's some family heritage and experience growing up. Correct. So that apprenticeship at Smooth Ambler by the end of the first day, they were a smaller operation than they are now. Uh, but by the end of the first day, I was running the room. And I did that for a week. And that's when my father realized. He got a sense of what you had, what 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 possibilities there were, Correct. right? Correct. And yeah. that, that, that we wouldn't be totally lost. Um, so, yeah, there was cerebral. I like that. I, what I meant to say was that, yes, that same process you described is the very same one that I think I do a lot of. And also probably that drives my wife up the wall. Uh, because the part when I come up with a plan, I probably forget to verbalize it to other people quite often. <laughs> and you just get an idea, latch on, and go. I understand that. I, I've been there, you know, and because you're so individually focused on everything in your head and you just want to get rolling yep. and you want to start to make it happen, right? For sure. So 2014, you open up July 1. What were some of the spirits that you focused on? I mean, obviously a lot of distillers will do clear spirits to get started. The the vodka, the rum, the I gin. Op- I opened with two. Okay. Vodka, white rum. Okay. Uh, and at the time I wasn't charcoal filtering my vodka at all because I was super nervous. If I filtered, it would lose all of its character and everybody wants vodka to be neutral, but I'd like my vodka to have a little bit of something to it. Uh, so we charcoal filter now. It still has character. It's great. My very first batch of rum, I put absolutely no sugar into it because I loved it. I wanted something Jamaican-inspired, South American-inspired, tons of funk. And uh, I quickly realized that maybe the general public didn't want it quite as funky as I did. So now I do sugar, uh, but not much. We're putting... Per 50 gallons, we're putting about a sixteenth of a cup of liquid sugar. So one part water, one part wa- one part water, one part sugar. Just enough to get rid of some of the bite on the back end. Um, it just so happens to be the bite that I really like. But we tone it down a little bit. How how have you... I, mean, I already know part of it. I mean, you've been received so wonderfully from the community. How much of... Because this... Gettysburg is a, dis, a destination area. How much of your clientele are people that either, A, have never been to a distillery and come to the distillery because of the restaurant that you have, um, B, are just here on vacation or just kind of coming through and heard this is a great place to hang out? I mean, and then how many of the locals? I mean, what, what kind of what, – what's your business like uh, for people I, that are coming in? I don't exist without my locals. They are my core, and without them, this does not work. Um, but past that – who comes in that's ever been to a distillery before and happens to come in because it's a restaurant. Huge uh, people. I'm sorry, what was the third one? There used to be A, B and, a and B, and well, I remember you, A. And you've got people that have never been to a distillery before. For sure. And, and, but they either come in because of the restaurant destination or they come in and then, hey, you know, they, we know they, they, you have a bar, but they, didn't, they don't realize you make there's, your own stuff here. There's some variability to it. I would say we probably end up about 60% coming in for just wanting a restaurant then finding the distillery and the other 40% coming in because they know we're a distillery and they want to try our stuff. Um, and then a lot of times they end up finding out we're a restaurant too. And then that's, that's nice because that's even better. The, correct. What I will say is, and I will emphasize that you have a phenomenal restaurant program and a lot of distilleries, they want to be a tasting room. They haven't been able to either legally or are they still building out to be a cocktail program? But taking that step, because there's so much more to do it to become a restaurant, but you're, it's, you don't just open a restaurant just so you have food to make sure you have something to go along with your cocktails. Your food is amazing. Restaurants are crazy hard. Um, more of us fail than make it. 
but there's a couple reasons we have the restaurant that we do. One, I love food. Two, I, from day one, felt more comfortable serving food along with alcohol. It also has a tremendous cost, just a commercial kitchen. And the level of fit and finish the distillery needs to be, to be just a distillery versus a restaurant distillery are two entirely different things. I could have saved a lot of money off by not finishing out to be a dining room. Your experience is supposed to be great food, great drinks, great conversation. We provide the first two, and we foster the environment and the atmosphere for the third. Food and and alcohol go together hand in hand. I was raised in restaurants. Had I not been raised in restaurants and had I not had my father to start this out with me, I'm not so certain I would have had the confidence to start the restaurant alongside of this. Um, so having my father here to help me out with that in the beginning. So your dad, did he develop the menu itself? Or uh, what was his participation in the kitchen? Uh, the funny thing about that is, is that confidence that was given to me by my father, knowing my father was going to be here with me, is um, he fit out and bumped his head pretty good right before we opened. And has had, I, he's still overall very healthy, but his focus is not what it was. So he's had some cognitive issues. So uh, I ended up running a lot more restaurant from the very beginning than I thought I was going to. Uh, at this time, I do have a chef right around my age. Uh, I originally brought him in to be my sous chef. And when it was time for my chef at the time to move on, I talked to him. We sat down. I was like, I think I want to move you into this position. I think you're ready. He's like, well, I don't know. Let me go home and think about it. So I let him go home and think about it. And I also went home and thought about it. And I made my decision. And when we met the next day, he goes, I thought about it. And what I really think you should do is find somebody else to be the chef. And I said, I also thought about it, Cameron. Congratulations. You're the chef. Go get to work. <laughs> so I just went, it's your time. Step up. And, and he has. So it's just a matter of somebody taking that trust and giving him confidence that he could be that person. I mean, if we're going to get philosophical with it, isn't, right. that, isn't that what most of us I, need? Somebody, somebody needs to say, yep. I believe in you. I, but here's the thing. With all the people that keep coming through your front door, yes, they may come here because you have cocktails and great distilled spirits and all that. Yep. But the food is amazing here. So to Cameron and what he's doing and his creativity, that's that's a bonus. But it's, 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 it's to what he's doing. I wanted a place where you um, could be sober and come here and enjoy it. You don't have to drink to have a good time here. That's, I mean, it's that simple. I, I, I wanted food to be equal in terms of my presentation, quality, and execution as the alcohol. You are growing. So how big is that agricultural plot of land that you have right now on the battlefield? 47 acres. You have 47 acres on Gettysburg Battlefields. Gettysburg National Military Park. Yep. Thank you. Sorry. Yes, it's all good. All right. Gettysburg Battlefield is also perfectly acceptable. All right. Ah, I'm, I'm sure that uh, there's some some Gettysburg tourism person cringing at me saying that. So, what I would ask you: so, what are the grains that you're now growing on that 47 acres at this immediate point in time? Right. Absolutely nothing. Uh, we my rye drowned this. Well, my rye didn't winter well, drowned this spring, so I burned it off and planted soybeans because at the time it's a cover crop, and right now it's cover just, crop. We yep. turn around, and sell it at wholesale. We don't use it for anything. Um, and at the time, I had one of those two-and-a-half-tall-story grain bins full of corn, and I didn't figure I'd need corn at all anymore. And uh, I did put two acres of experimental corn. I put some bloody butcher in, and the this weather has been terrible. The tiny plot where I put the corn, there's four groundhogs that have taken up residence. The national park property, I can't trap them, I can't shoot them. So I've just been feeding groundhogs with it. So I will be harvesting no grain off the battlefield this year when I was expecting to have about 35 acres worth of rye. Now, within that... My promise that I make is I source, I, I, I get all of my raw grain within five miles of here. Typically, I grow most of it. 
that's not going to be the deal this year. I'm not going to end up growing most of it. Has it been the lack of rain or the excessive amount of rain? The heat too, too much in the too much in the spring for my rye. It drowned. It died. Okay, and then now it's just been too hot and dry. I mean, we've had how many weeks? Of yeah, we had like six, seven weeks of just no rain, and it just was ungodly hot. Green outside as a you know in fields is a relatively new phenomenon in the past two weeks. So. Farming was just a crap year, which, uh, you know what, we'll just 2020, we'll get it all out of the way and and, and, and see what next. Uh, I, I don't want to say that, though. There's still, we can still do good within 2020, but that's, yeah. Every day is a new possibility. That's it. If you want to get philosophical. That's it. There's an opportunity. But how has COVID, we're still in the midst, I mean, we're maybe, I don't know, we're at the tail end or the beginning, who knows? It's, it's the end of August 2020, but how has COVID been how has it affected your business how have you reacted to it what's been your experience with it it's been a roller coaster it has been i don't know that the difference between this and my car accident is is the car accident was my own body and i was struggling to find out and get control of and figure out what to do with it COVID is just everything's external but none of this is internal this is not because of something i did wrong it's not because of something you did wrong the playing field is constantly changing uh we march 15th or governor said shut restaurants down no indoor dining uh, or outdoor dining so we shut down i immediately reached out to my staff told them all to file for unemployment so they could get in there thankfully they that little bit of a couple hours a day sooner probably is why they were all able to get it immediately um then i ordered a bunch of food dry food to get them fed sent them home with dry food and anything that was left in my coolers that wouldn't make it uh, then I got to focusing on my bill, on my business, um, found out at that point in time, once I sat down and looked at everything, that I could cover bills for a month, fixed costs for a month, and then I was done. By the end of that week, I had had, I put a post out, so this is the part I didn't tell you earlier. Okay. The whole reason I was able to, the whole reason that the hospital system came to me was they had seen a post about a week before that where I had ordered supplies to make hand sanitizer. Now, at that time, none of the distilleries had received our essentially waiver from the federal government to do this. We have a beverage alcohol license. That means you make it for drinking, you pay taxes on it for drinking, as opposed to a, an industrial or fuel alcohol permit, which is where most of your hand sanitizer is going to come from. My game plan that week was is I was going to make a batch of hand sanitizer with the supplies and the containers I've gotten, put them out into the world and shutter my doors like everybody else and hope that was enough good karma to, to bring me something. By the end of that week, because Wellspan had found out about that, they contacted me. They asked if I could get them 50 gallons a week. And I said, absolutely. And that's, that was my first, was my first miracle. Cause that was going to be, I, I sold it. I sold it at cost, but it was cash flow. So, and also some people have said, you should have donated it all. Well, I, I just, I couldn't. It's just money isn't. I, I need money to buy more. And so it's I think there's a the perception, and you're in it every day. And there's a perception that there's this is all gravy to you. This is you're you're you got so much money coming out of your pockets and everywhere else because you're distilling and and and, and they see what you're doing, but you're doing it every day, and it's. It's there's always something. Somebody wants taxes from you. Somebody wants permits, and you got so much going on. I think that in order, I, I think the length of time that needs to go on before I can start to see financial rewards based on the risk and sacrifice I put in, we're ten or twenty years away. This is I, I work so incredibly hard, and it, 
I'm all in. So there's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a roll of the dice, but it's betting on yourself, and it's betting on your work ethic, your ability, and I have a high confidence level in that. So, yeah, no, people do think that you're just rolling it. I remember for a long time I would get frustrated by people would say, oh, it's by Saturday night, so all the parking lot's full, must be raking it in. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, Saturday night, we actually did rake it in, and I put it into a wheelbarrow, then I took the wheelbarrow, and I took it to the <laughs> bank, and I was still short of paying all my bills. Um, come, the bank said I need a bigger wheelbarrow. <laughs> correct. So that's just, it is it is a overhead intense industry to get into, and there are well, tremendous... You got, how many barrels... I, you got at least you got at least two hundred barrels right now. Probably just a little bit short of that, but not real short from that. Okay, but there's juice in there, correct? And it's not ready to go yet. Sunk costs that we have to wait on to see any kind of return on. Yeah, and correct. you're still waiting for you know Mother Nature and the science world to do its stuff, mm-hmm. and you still have this level of faith because you know what you're doing. But there's all right. Let's see what it tastes like. Yep. And you still have to wait on that. Still have to wait on it. And the public right now is waiting too. Correct. So you can't make money until we get a chance to taste it That's or try it or enjoy it. it. We've gotten some brown spirits out. The availability has been limited on that. But uh, back to where we let off. Hospital wanted 50 gallons a week. By the next week, they asked me for absolutely every last drop I could make. So we dug in. I went nine weeks uh, with just myself and my assistant distiller. We went nine weeks. I went seven days a week. She went six days a week. And we went 16 to 20 hour days. So I went home to shower and go to bed. We ate here. I had my outdoor couches back in the back room so I could lay down a little bit. I burned through a pair of socks almost every day just from walking so much. Uh, that was the probably the most tired I think I've quite possibly ever been. I think I'm still tired from it. Um, but, yeah, that's... I remember what the original name was. Fine. That's yeah, that's how we got. So we got. That's how, that's how, that's how we got to the point of being. Once we were allowed. Once we finished that up, all the commercial producers caught up on hand sanitizer. Then we were allowed to start to do outdoor, and then we steamrolled it into what you see today. What for you? Because because I, I hear all like, you've gotten through all these roadblocks. You, you've you've seen the mountain, and you're not the kind of person that says, eh, "I'm not going to climb the mountain." You figure out how to get over the mountain. When has it hit you yet, or what kind of experiences have you had where you're like, we got something going here? Like, when was that where you kind of look at what you were doing and producing and say, this is, a, this is something, I'm, I'm achieving my dreams. This is what I expected. None of this has been what I expected. <laughs> at no point. Like, it's, it's just, you make a plan, and you have to be real willing to adjust that plan. Um I mean, I make liquor for a living. I, I, it's 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 kind of awesome. So, like that part of it, yeah, achieved. Uh, I don't. Okay, so here's the answer to that. I think if I ever get to the point where I am content in what I've come up with, will be the day you'll see it for sale sign on the distillery because it's it's this, it's navigating all of this crap and it's the day to day stuff. If you, you wind up learning about this about yourself at some point. I don't remember when I, I don't know when I learned this, but it's, it's, it's the challenge to push through every day or every month or every year. That's the part that I love most about it. It's so you love the process. I love the process. Have, but has there, I guess my question is, has there been a time when you've gone home, put your head on the pillow and said to your wife, this is, this is like, 
this is the experience. I love this. I don't think that there has been. I, I, but I don't, I don't, you know, when I have little moments like that, when I, so I took my three days away for the first time in a very long time. The first time I step back foot back in the building is when I go, this is pretty awesome. Like I built this, I, this was an idea in my head and I brought it to life. So that, yes, I get, especially the past couple of months to try to make it all work. I'm so deep in the day to day that I don't probably not often enough. It's probably, I don't self-reflect and say you've done it. And also I don't, it's also constantly moving goal. First was just get it open. Then it was make it a year. Then it was make it two years. Then it was, let's put some bourbon on the shelf. Then it was, let's try the new spirit. There's always, I don't pat myself on the back very much, if at all. So I haven't, I, I'm trying to think of a time if I've had that moment, that the, the moment you're describing. I don't think I've had it, but but I'm, but, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm okay with it. I'm almost scared to have that moment because if that moment comes... I think I might be done or getting close to being done. There's always something new to do. There's always, if I, if this place gets to the point where I can leave for a month at a time and just come in once a month, then I don't know if it's fun for me anymore. I think it's actually getting my hands dirty and, and getting in the crap. Like it's, I haven't had that one moment. I just haven't. All right. I mean, look, here's what you know, because we have a bunch of things we're going to taste and get your perspective on, but there's always something to distill. Yep. There's always something to create. So it's, you've got the still, you've got your license, and you can do whatever you want. More or less. More or less. Yeah, that's correct. You opened up with vodka and white rum. Correct. And those were your two spirits. And now you're doing more stuff, doing more, more brown spirits. Is that because of what you enjoy to drink? Or is that because of where the customer base is requesting? Are you gravitating towards the, 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 the trends in the industry? I can, with a fair degree of confidence, say that I really don't care what the trends in the industry are. Okay. Um, I really enjoy brown spirits. Also, some of the stuff we've made has been just because I have a bottle of pear brandy up front with a pear grown in it that we've made 100% with local a local orchard grew the pear in the bottle. Another orchard supplied the pears to send to the cider mill. I bought the cider from the cider mill, brought it here. Um, I'm not really a, personally a huge consumer of pear brandy. We did it because we could. It was a little bit of a show-off thing. And as it turns out, aged pear brandy is phenomenal. But that's part of that learning process Correct. you talk about, right? Correct. You, you start out with a conversation, I guess, with somebody with an orchard. Yep. A farmer who said, you know, I got all these pears. What would you like to do? What can we do together, right? What can we collaborate on? That's it. And what that does is you bring the community in, and this becomes, you're all working together, and you're highlighting and showing off what's what's possible here in Gettysburg. I have described that particular pear brandy as being one of the most beautiful representations of, of Adams County agriculture in a bottle. And it also, the, amount, the number of farms and processors that were involved to make it happen, it was... It's awesome. Also makes it quite expensive for me to make, but it's so cool. Like I find me many, if anybody else that's growing pears and bottles. I remember when I originally looked into doing this, I remember somebody in the Pacific Northwest was doing it, and I couldn't find anybody else stateside doing it. 
Donnie, this is the beautiful, beautiful thing that I love about craft. You can do whatever you can think about. Yes. You can try it. Yes. And when it when it like when it's a home run like that, now you probably have the farmer saying, "Let's do that again, right?" There's bottles. We're going to do that every year. There's bottles hanging on the trees right now. Yeah. So you're you're ready to rock and roll on that, and you continue. You know who knows what's going to be next. Uh, that's it. You might know. You're just not telling. I, us. I have some ideas. Okay. Which one? We'll, <laughs> which one we'll get to first? It's hard to say. So what would you like to try? You know, again, let's talk about your vision for what you're producing. What would you like to try first, and and and, and introduce to people that haven't, you know, haven't been to Mason Dixon and haven't had anything that you've made. So all of the spirits I've chosen for us to pour, except for the very final one we're going to have, are all brown spirits. So I've got a bourbon, a rye, a single malt whiskey, and an aged rum. Uh, I generally, personally, live in the brown spirit spectrum. I just, I, it's my favorite. So what I think we'll start off with is the very first bourbon that I ever bottled. Uh, I actually bottled this before I even offered any to the public, and I just took most of it home. And it was one of those, I haven't had any of those the moments that we were talking about earlier, but I've had many of, I've had many smaller moments. So you're sitting out, outside, where, where, where did this experience, take us into your home for a second when you when you poured your first little uh, Glencairn of, of your bourbon. I don't, th- we were at, Nicole and I would have been at our old house. I think it was as simple as just a sideways smile on my face saying, I'm going to pour some of my bourbon and just having it out of a nosing glass. And just if I recall the very first night I poured some, I think I may have had a little bit more than I intended to sit down and have because that is, I mean, that's an incredible feeling. What made it start First, I had to build the distillery to make it. And I, well, first I grew the grains to make it, then I had to build the distillery to make it, and then I had to survive long enough to, 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 to wait for it to age, to see it, to, <laughs> to see it to mature. So that's, that was an incredible thing. The very first one, it was a five gallon barrel, uh, yielded 23 bottles, so it was all said and done. It was aged 16 months. Um, I think this one I may have added a couple drops of water. Uh, if you especially, so you proofed it down a little bit. I, mm, uh, eh, eh. Probably not even measurable. Just okay. li- literally drops. Uh, generally, if you find my aged stuff, it's I straight out of the barrel, right into the bottle. Um, one. I so think, again, that's more of a tri- attributing to your own style and what you like to drink. So you, much. you want something more of a cast strength or higher proof spirit. Single barrel, barrel proof. And I love that because I think there's such. a... Um, a, a part of the um, population, a part of the uh, bourbon or brown spirit drinking population, that everything seems to be right now proofed down. And maybe what's coming out of Kentucky is more cast strength, or maybe what's coming out of Tennessee. But I think Pennsylvania really is trying to keep things lower proof right now. I don't even know if it's state-specific. I think it's probably going to be the fact this, So what I see a lot of others doing... When I do look, and I don't look that often, I pretty much, my blinders are on. I pay attention to what I am doing. My my pouring for... for we can share. Okay, perfect. Yeah. You get more bottles. That's why a lot of places are proofing it down. I prefer single barrel, barrel strength. And, in addition to this, I feel that we're obviously producing younger spirits. We're not an old distillery. We don't have a lot of barrels to pick from. When you take a younger spirit and you proof it down, it becomes... Weak. I'm putting more barrel in every bottle than anybody else that proofs something down, um, which is why you can have a 16-month-old bourbon that drinks like this does. So talk about your mash build. 
Jesus, I don't if, you, remember, if I don't you're even, allowed, I don't even remember the document. <laughs> um, I'd have to go back and look, but I can okay. pre- I can pretty much guarantee you what it was. High rye. We probably I probably ran seventy to seventy five percent rye, five percent malted barley. The rest was corn. So this is so this is more of a rye strength bourbon. I'm sorry, than, I'm sorry, bourbon. I just there you go. My, I just gave you my rye whiskey. That's okay. Bill. That's right because uh, I I I I, I probably ran. On this, fifty-five percent corn. Corn, okay. And then another, probably would have been forty percent rye. That hold up, yeah. Numbers, yeah. There we go. And then you've got malted barley malted in barley there. Being the last five percent. Okay. Yep. So it's three grains. Yep. You got your corn. You got your rye. Yep. You got your barley. Mm-hmm. One. It's this is a wonderful nose on this, and I love that. What what proof are we talking about in the bottle? One hundred ten. Okay. So. This doesn't nose, you don't get that much ethanol in the nose. You'll find that all of my stuff, even at the higher proof, is going to be some of the most gentle drinking overproof. And when I say gentle, I don't mean it's lacking in anything. I just mean it has a lot less harshness to it than you'll find at versus a lot of others, even at lower proof. Um, I feel like I'm just walking past a, you know that caramel corn stand at the fair? I feel like I just walked past there, or that, what's that one where they, they make the popcorn, uh, I, I'm drawing a blank now, that, that what, what kind of, kettle, kettle corn. Kettle corn, yeah. Kettle corn. I feel like I'm walking past a kettle corn stand. It's, it's got this wonderful sweetness to it, and you're smiling. I love the smile on it. See, this is that moment where you said, yeah, I produced this. Yep. I did this. Yep. This is wonderful. You get some floral on the notes nose a little bit. I get that. Um, but this is just a wonderful... This is one of those things where you could just sit out here and just nose this and sip this and nose this and enjoy this all, all day. I also really love the mouthfeel. There's there's the viscosity. It's, it's... It's not syrupy, but it's almost sticky. Like, it, it, it clings to you a little bit. Um, I... This is like put I, the viscosity you talk about is like pouring syrup on pancakes. Yep, that's exactly. If I had bourbon, that's syrup, the mouthfeel. Now it's obviously not right. how it pours out of the barrel, but yeah, that's no, the mouthfeel. But if mouthfeel. I had the, it, I if I close my eyes and put this on pancakes or put this on a waffle, this would be awesome. I don't even need the maple part. I just want to put this on waffles or pancakes. We uh, occasionally bring a for the, for the very first bourbon batch that I released to the public. So not this one. We made a we called it a breakfast bourbon. It was orange juice. Uh, a little bit of maple syrup, bourbon, and a couple dashes. I think we had chocolate bitters. It was heaven. That sounds decadent. Yeah. Now, all right, so the first one we talked about was in a five-gallon barrel. Yes. This one that we're drinking now, still a five-gallon barrel? So or this is the first this one. This is the first one. This is the first oh, one. The, the, this is the first. The, we are drinking the first this one. This is the last bottle that I know of this to exist. Okay. Oh, this is so <laughs> happy and yet disappointing at the same time. Good news, gonna make more. Okay, so there's nothing out of all those barrels. None of that's bourbon out there. Yeah, tons of bourbon. Oh, out there. okay, good. Tons of bourbon out uh, there. But I this, feel relieved. This, this is yeah, correct. Yeah, no, there's tons of bourbon. I have uh, probably equal amounts of bourbon to rye whiskey sitting out there. Um, I I like bourbon a whole lot. I love rye. I would never think that's 110. No, not at all. This is incredible. Thank you. This is incredible. Kudos to you, really. You should be very proud of this, and I know you are. I am. Now, can I ask you, your your dad 
Yes. What has his response been to all of this? That he sees now where you are, 2020, and what you're producing. What has he said to you? Especially I, when he said, Yanni, get a job. Yeah, he Go gets, work for somebody. He gets, he gets super excited. Um, he also gets super excited because he doesn't have to go to work anymore. Uh, the end of this, the end of the end of this past year, um, we started to formalize everything, but uh, basically to send him off to go be retired. I'll spend a long time paying him back for everything he's put in, and um, yeah, but he'll still come back, get to taste things. If, if at the, the second to last one we're going to try is one that he's absolutely giddy about, and so am I. Um, yeah, it's. I, I it's 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 interesting. I, I, I was hoping originally that I'd work the rest of my the rest of my father's life with him side by side, um, but with just stuff from him hitting his head and and whatnot, and just also from me not wanting to have a partner. That whole cerebral process you were talking about, just decision go, decision go, decision go, decision. Yeah, go. Yeah, you don't want to stop and say stop and say, hey, what do you think about this? It doesn't. It doesn't lend itself well to having a partner. So. He gets excited. I love it. I mean, and, and, you know, as a father, seeing what his son's doing and feeling the pride and feeling, you know, look, as a parent, you want to look back and say, did we do okay? Yeah, it's interesting. My, my, for a long time in the beginning of all this, me wanting to do this, my father was not supportive. Uh, it took that apprenticeship shrub. I knew what I was doing to get some support. Um, I think my, I remember a very specific point in my life when I think probably would have been just out after high school when I was talking to one of my high school teachers about ideas I had. And that was probably one of the first people that I can clearly and distinctly remember saying, you know how to do this. Cause I had a lot of people telling me I didn't know how to do it. Go find a job work for somebody else. Um, that said, you know how to do this, you know how to problem solve, just go get after whatever it is you want to do. Um, so it's been, it's been a heck of a ride. Um, and it's been interesting just to see how people's attitudes have, changed as I see what's coming along and what I've been able to do. Um, they I need had, that proof, right? Everybody wants to look out for you and protect you. I, I had extended Especially family. Especially with this. I had extended family saying, don't, don't, don't do this. You don't know what you're doing. You're just going to lose money. Why don't go, go play with something. They love you, you and about. care about you. They just don't see the, the vision that you see. Correct. Because you're not telling them. Because <laughs> you're just off and running and setting up stills and left to right and all that other stuff. Yep. What I'm enjoying right now is we've finished our last sip. There's the earthiness on the palate, but there's not a lot of dryness that you get from some a lot of a lot of these bourbons. And I like the fact that I'm not saturated in oak and dryness, um, and that proof just doesn't sit there. It's there's, just, there's nothing there about 100, 110. The the lingering finish, the lasting mouthfeel are every bit as important as the first nose and the first sip. Um, I've almost I recently. I have exclusively moved to full size barrels, but in the beginning, I still I still even have a lot of smaller barrels. And you do sometimes get those smaller barrels that have that that tannin tongue drying out. And if you can have a whiskey that tastes phenomenal, but it gives you that t- cardboard tongue after you're done, that pencil shaving tongue after right. you're done, and that to me that's just, that's not there. It, and I would tell you if you would have not said this is a 16 month bourbon. I wouldn't. I would have at least gotten three years out of this. I really would have. I honestly would have said that that tastes like if it's a smaller barrel, you let it sit there for at least three years. And I know that wouldn't have been the plan, but that's really the character I think it has. I usually wait till after people sip it to tell them how old it is because okay. that's when the the, the 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 head explosion normally happens. <laughs> and that's just. I mean, that's a million different variables, but really, I think what it comes down to is just 
not trying to fill the most amount of barrels, but just making sure what you fill those barrels with is the best. That's it. That's, that's I think, incredibly simple. Because you realize the quality of the juice, the grains you're sourcing, the process you're going through for distillation and fermentation and all that. I mean, is, is, is there a specific, is there a different yeast in this that you're using for other things you're distilling and fermenting? Maybe. Okay, but you're not going to tell me. Uh, yeast is one of the few things I won't talk in all depth right. about. See, so, all right, but, <laughs> see, I love that. Because I spent a lot your, of time and a lot of money figuring out which your, ones I like. That's your proprietary, other than, you, there's some things in there that you say, this is what's getting me to this level. And that's what you're using. It is one of the things. Every, everything is a variable when you distill. You take the same plant, move it five miles somewhere else, and the, even, I mean, Cleanliness and sterilization is a huge part of what we do, but no matter what you do, some wild yeast and some wild bacteria end up in every cook. They're going to make it taste a little bit different. Have you ever had the, this tested, or have you ever collected any yeast strains that you are aware of now? No. Uh, uh, as far as like to actually harvest some wild stuff and see what it does, not with any consistency. I did do some one-off rum where I had a bunch of leftover stuff from when I first started. I, had, I make my rum exclusively for molasses, and that was after trial and error, and I decided molasses makes the rum I want. But I had some different grades of sugar. I had some. I think I even had a little panella, and I had enough to make two fermenters worth. So I mixed all this junk together, and then I threw in a fermenter. But I threw it in a fermenter with a lid open, and then I went out into the garden, and I pulled a bunch of leafy junk and I threw it in there. Not because I wanted leafy junk to add flavor, but I wanted whatever was wildly occurring out on those plants. I to interact them. with the sugars mm-hmm. and see what happens. Yep. And, like, and that's it, one of the beautiful things that people don't necessarily realize. And you touch on it. I love that. The fact that there's wild yeast and there are things going on all the time that as, as one of those entities, that creates so much more than trying to create the sterile environment of what you're trying to produce root of what I do is in science. My execution is in art. Um, root science, final execution art, where, yes, we do all the cleanliness, all the sterilization, that sacrification is the beginning process of any of this. Very clearly science. But as far as how we end up with our final stuff, trial and error. If a handful of something's good, well, a bucket full might be better. If a bucket full's good, then try a barrel full. If a barrel full's better, try a tote and just Play around with it. Now you're walking through your neighbors, you know, you're picking stuff out of their neighbor, your gardens. I, <laughs> Yanni, what are you doing in my garden? I would love to get to a point where I play around a bunch with that, purposely trying to harvest some wild stuff. Uh, the problem with that is I'd have to learn a lot more on how to recreate it, uh, because that rum that I made came out phenomenal. Uh, recreating it just ain't going to happen. But that's your art. Yep. You know, Picasso did one, and that was it. Uh, uh, I mean, he, 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 you know, he painted a lot of other stuff, but he just needed to do one. The, the, pro- the, the only problem with that is is when I take that one and I split it up a co- amongst a couple of five-gallon barrels and I decide one of them is perfect and then I don't want to share with okay. anybody else. That is where the problem with, with that comes in. It would be nice to be able to make a couple of those same batches so I could share with more. But even those small batches, I find ways to share it. When we were closed, I dug into my personal selection and I sold some because we needed money. Uh, but what I prefer to use them is somebody comes in and they go, what I was really looking for is the, the customer that's willing, that, that wants to have the further conversation. They go, oh, I really wanted some rye whiskey. I have rye whiskey. Well, I didn't see any in the shelf. I, I have rye whiskey in the back. Would you like to try some rye whiskey? The answer is always yes. And um, the, the second answer is the one they usually hate more, though, because they want to buy a bottle of the rye whiskey. And it's and not for say, sale. Nope. 
Okay. Uh, and even within that, I... But that's nice that you at least are willing to let people try what you're producing. Correct. You didn't have to do that. Right? No, not at all. But that I, probably goes back to being raised in hospitality. Like, good. somebody wants something, you can give them some of it, and they'll be very happy. So why wouldn't you do that? Also, the opportunity to share what I'm doing. Right. I, 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 I really like rye whiskey. I really like bourbon. I love rye whiskey. So, so let's try. Somebody... All right. So let's let's now that we've got this buildup of the rye whiskey. Let's 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 see. Let's go through this experience. So, what proof are we talking here? We are talking. This one is one hundred and six point two. Okay. Same deal. Another small barrel. This was a five gallon barrel, eighteen months old. One of twenty two. This is my first ever rye whiskey that I bottled. Last known bottle. I'm gonna take again. This is the last bottle. So, at some point, when you come visit Mason Dixon Distillery, he'll have more. Just. There are these two special bottles right now, and that's all that's right now available. I haven't come up with the exact format, how I'm going to pitch it, what I'm going to do with it, but I am going to put... We have sample flights, and it includes five of our spirits. It's a set thing. Many cocktails are straight. I'm going to... I've been doing some one-offs for customers that are more whiskey enthusiasts. I'm going to create a whiskey flight, an H flight, and it'll be limited. It will cost more than my $5 flight that we have up there now because these cost more and they demand more. Um... But I'm going to sneak this into the menu at some point. It may not even sneak on the menu. It may be, uh, it may be a Facebook post for those that see it on social media. It may be an email blast like, hey, here's something that's not on the menu, but you might really want to try. Um, I have to ask you. I get a little smokiness on the nose. Have you identified that, or is that something you've had before? I don't get it as smoky. I get it almost as cocoa. Okay. But I can see... There's a sweetness that kind of lingers there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I can see it as smoke. It's more identifying to me as, as, as like a like a cocoa, like okay. a cocoa powder. Yeah. And we're not that far from Hershey, so maybe that's what we're smelling through the clouds. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Not. I don't know how probable it is, but it's definitely possible. Again, at 106 proof, it's not there. Not burning. Not burning your no. nostrils at all. No. no. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's just kind of like. Came in waves. And that was my first sip. Mm-hmm. Wow. Every barrel I pull is different. I work with a couple different mash bills. I play with different malts. Uh, the only promise I make when it comes to consistency from next release to next release is that there will be none. I cherry pick whichever barrel I feel is perfect. If I don't find a perfect barrel, I do not dump it. I do not bottle it. I am not in a rush to put bourbon on the shelf. I am not in a rush to put rye on the shelf. I'm not in a rush to put single malt on the shelf. That's our second That's our last next. one. We're, uh, eh, all, right, all right, we'll yeah, get there. We're we'll get there. Um, I only put out the best of what I have. And I, the price points on them probably reflect that I don't really care to move those bottles that much. Those that really want them, pay for them and take them home. But my theory on that is uh, the higher price bottles stay on my shelf a little bit longer, which means that same bottle can get me 50, 60 samples to people that can try it and say how good it is. And in a couple years, when I have more available and the price comes down, those will be the first people to jump on buying those bottles as they're available. So again, it doesn't come off as high proof in in, in tasting. You get a nice spice to the rye, that that black pepper, that little cinnamon, you know, where you get the cinnamon bite to it, but not the cinnamon flavor. After having that first sip, part of this hit me almost like a like a mulled honey. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. 
But that's the but isn't that the experience? And we're you know, here's the fun thing. We're sitting out here when you're loading dock, the door's open, so there could be some things you know, that we're smelling that now is, you know, coming through our nose that we're, we're kind of bringing in at the same time. Changing as it goes along. Yeah. For sure. And as it warms up and everything else, the humidity and all that other stuff going Every, on. Everything's a variable. That is a, that is a, kudos. I mean, seriously. Make more, faster, please. <laughs> well, so that's funny. I'm, all, I'm super particular about anything I put into a bottle, period. Especially the brown stuff. I'm very, very particular about the bourbon. I am almost probably too particular about the rye. Uh, two, three weeks ago, I tasted, I have a, a 10-gallon barrel back there. It's three and a half years old on the rye. And I tasted it, and then I told the barrel. Did you bring the whiskey thief out of the car? <laughs> <laughs> no. I tasted from it. And then I told the barrel how much I loved her. Uh, and then after thinking You told about the barrel that. I did. Okay. And then... After thinking about it for a minute, I did something that I've actually to date never done so far. I decided to leave it. Usually when I find something that I love, I let it go. Um, I decided to roll the dice because, generally speaking, things get better tasting as they get older. But there's definitely some ups and downs along the way. And I was just thinking how much of an impact it would have on my customers to have this amazing three-and-a-half-year-old ride on the shelf. Versus the impact it would have on my customers to have this amazing four-year-old plus rye on the shelf. And this was the first time that I ever let something in longer specifically. So I would be able to have an age statement on it. So if we're planning our calendars, <laughs> what day should we be here? Uh, well, so within that, I don't know that it's ready. I, so that is one thing I've never subscribed to and it hasn't held true for anything I've tried to sample here. Uh, whiskey does not have a date. A whiskey definitely has a profile and a mouthfeel that when it's ready, it's ready, but it doesn't have a date. For to, I don't ever stick anything in a barrel and be like, I'm pulling it out in two years. I may pull that barrel in eight months. I may pull that barrel in four years. I may pull it in three years. How, how often do you try? How often? Because you, you got, like we said, we t- almost 200 barrels. I mean, how often do you check in your barrels? Uh, it depends. Uh, if I start to get low on bourbon stock, I will start tasting. Um, very... Uh, methodically and very calculated, I will start tasting to try to find the next one. Uh, my second kind of tasting and barrel checking that I do is kind of actually my favorite. Uh, it's my emotional tasting. And my emotional tasting happens when I have had... I almost gave you one to censor out. I When I have had just a really <laughs> crappy day, or two or three in a row... right. It's time It's time to just kind of imbibe. It's time to lay all the other stuff down and let's go taste some barrels. Yeah. The other end of that is, is if I find myself uh, incredibly happy about something and I want to be more happy about something. Now, that one's, that one's dangerous because sometimes you don't find a barrel to be happy about and that brings the happy down a little. So my, my preferred method of barrel tasting and selection is wait till I am in a poor mood so I can find something that puts me in a better mood. I, it's, I love the theory. It's, that works. <laughs> it has yet to let me down. That works. So what's next? The next one is actually a blend. Uh, I generally do not blend, but occasionally I will. I think I've only ever blended th- two releases. One was a bourbon release, and the other was this aged rum release. Uh, I don't have it written on the bottle for some reason. but this. So this is my aged rum, uh, 110.6 proof. It was a full-size 53-gallon barrel that was about three and a half years old. That I blended with, if I recall correctly, a 10-month-old barrel. The 53-gallon barrel 
Uh, so this is one of my first barrels I filled, so I thought everybody sweetened their rum, so I did sweeten it a little bit. 10-gallon barrel had no sweetness and I thought was overly dry. I thought the 53 was overly sweet, and it turns out when you mix them in their exact proportions as they come out of the barrel that you ended up something with hints of sweetness, but that, that dryness in terms of being a bad quality is gone. This is... If rum was anywhere near as popular as a category as bourbon was... I would be out of rum, but rum's not quite as popular. This is, I think, my sleeper, my my hidden... This is your hidden gem? This is the hidden gem. Well, let me ask you a question. So, the barrels you're using, yes. they're all oak, new American oak? Yes and no. My very first couple barrels I brought in, I brought in specifically to fill up rum, and I didn't have enough money to buy new barrels. So, my very first round of barrels I filled actually came from Smooth Ambler. They were used bourbon barrels. Um so that 53 was a used barrel, that 10 was a new. But yes, uh, everything everything charred American white oak, almost everything is brand new, mostly because that's required by law, and also it gives you more robust things, and that's what I want anyway. I had brought in a couple experimental barrels, and all the experimental barrels were former cognac. So I did play around with a little bit of cognac barrel finish. Was that rum that you were finishing in cognac? Or? It was actually a corn whiskey that I had aged in a used bourbon barrel that I then finished in a cognac barrel. It was one of the more lighter, sweeter whiskeys I put out. Um, it was personally as a sipper not my favorite, but it made a heck of a popular old-fashioned with it. And when I make an old-fashioned, it's a lot of brown liquor. The tiniest bit of sugar and two or three dashes of the bitters. Of bitters. So the spirit still shines through. It's not a muddled. Like we 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 literally don't muddle a single piece of fruit in it because sacrilege to whiskey. <laughs> um, and if that's the way you like it best, then that's fine. But for me, no. Uh, so yeah, made a made a great old fashioned. Sip nicely, just not as bold as I would have liked. But the cognac barrel was definitely interesting. Don't have any plans to work with again with them again anytime soon, but that's just you never I know. Tasted something that I yeah. think I want to marry to. Yeah, if they if they show up and we got a barrel and we'll give it to you, you never know, right? Correct. Again, I, I, I think that a tribute to you. So far, the three items that we've tried. I mean, the nose has been wonderful, and I don't know why the first thing I I I, I got a lot of things, but I thought of like a, a field of fresh cut grass, and and I don't think there's anything in there. It should be fresh-cut grass, but it's something there for me. Some of the funkier rums... Maybe that's it. Maybe it's that that, that funkiness to it. ...have some uh, interesting grassiness or leafiness to them. Um, That experimental I told you about earlier that I literally threw random greens in it, it got, like, green banana. So, I... Yeah. yeah, you know what? You just hit it because I feel like I just ate an underripe bin- like that when you mm-hmm. get the the skin mm-hmm. and you get that 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 effervescence or whatever comes off of there. I, I think that that is a just a more common thing in funky rum. Like if I if I if I was getting that banana note out of a whiskey, I don't know that I'd be real happy about it. But being in this rum and just, right. it just it, this is why when you talk about like so rum, I think is starting to create. A foothold in a way where you've got your brown spirits as well. And 
you've got your bourbon, you've got your rye, and rye obviously is, 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 is starting to hit big back in Pennsylvania again, Maryland as well. And then Kentucky's starting to catch up and again and go, yeah, we, we better start doing rye again. Um, but bourbon, I mean, rum itself is really starting. I mean, the rum is starting to stand out in the classification on its own again. And I think if you're doing this, then this gives people a chance to say, well, I want that high-quality craft rum that you're producing. I, for a very long time, did not care for rum. Rum, to me, was uh, uh, like, well, it was it was Bacardi White, or Bacardi, Claire Bacardi, or Captain. And not, neither of those profiles really did much for me in terms of intriguing me and wanting me to try more. Uh, rum, when I started, like, is when I started to purposely go out and explore craft distilleries, and I found new expressions of things. And I said, oh, rum, rum. Rum's different. Rum. Rum's new. It's like when people have that experience with gin. I'm not. I'm not drinking that dry gin. I'm drinking. Wow, what is this? This is a bit. What is? What am I tasting? I will tell you. It's the same thing with this. This is wonderful. Thank you. And I don't get the. I, I normally find that I get this like toasted, burnt marshmallow flavor on a lot of the aged rums. I don't get that. I get the sweetness on the tip, but then it goes through that. This. I feel like I'm going through like a, a litany of just different natural. Er, it's not herbs, but it's like grassiness and that funk again. But it's wonderful. There's, I, I, I agree with every part of your description, but I would say there almost is sometimes, like, an herbaceousness to them. Like, I feel like this, on this sip that I had, there was almost a little bit of, like, an herbaceous tingle on the tip of my tongue. Not enough to call it herbaceous, but it just... That's what I said. I started thinking yeah, herbaceous, yeah. but it, it wasn't that, yeah. right? Yep. Fun, fun right? <laughs> We've had a lot of different rums, right? This is unlike any rum we've ever had. It's delicious. It's, it really it's is. Very this is a great sipping rum, and I could see doing some some fun cocktails with this. But you don't have to mask the flavor. You could just yeah. like like a daiquiri with this. I mean, I know it's not just a little lemon juice. Mm-hmm. This would be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. We. Uh... So who who does your cocktail program? I mean, who's responsible for creating? Is that you? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I'm definitely involved. I wouldn't say that there's one person specifically curates it. My chef gets involved. My two main bartenders get involved. I get involved. My assistant distiller that does most of my heavy lifting and distilling these days was one of my main bartenders. For it's a group community. We all we all get in on it. That's it's. And then you do it seasonally, right? Different different. Uh, we do food seasonally. With food changes week to week. Drinks uh, change a little bit slower, uh, but yeah, there's a ton of seasonality to it. All right. I know there's a single malt in our future. And there is. Why does that seem to be, and I know you don't watch trends, and I don't. I know you got your blinders on, but it seems as though single malts now in the craft spirit industry are, are what's the focus of, of where people are going. Don't know. Probably because it's just things that people haven't done. Um, I know that I had my first batches ready to put into bottles. My first batch, I had a barrel that I would have dumped probably a year ago, um, but it took me almost a year to get an approved label. Um, why? Don't know. Uh, as far as why it's coming up, don't know. Why people are doing it? Uh, I think because it's the closest spirit. I think it's the closest spirit. I think it's the only brown spirit that has the leeway that comes anything close to like what gin has. Single malt. Okay, all malted barley. Well, with brewing being so huge and there being so many different kinds of malted, malted barley, barley, 
the, the flavors you can put into a bottle are almost limitless. So this particular one, 70% just pale malted barley. And it's 15% cherry smoke malted barley, 15% applewood smoke malted barley. This was so smoky coming off the still that I was tasting it as it was coming off. And my wife came in and I gave her a kiss and she pulled back for me and just goes, were you smoking? <laughs> yes, pork shoulder. <laughs> so, I, But this th- doesn't have anywhere near any tobacco. I don't smell any tobacco on this. The smoke, I feel like the barrel ate so much of the smoke. There's going to be a point where I'm going to do one of these that's going to be 100% smoke because I would love it to be. Oh my God. My, if I, I, I don't know if, if marriage is like you said, I love you to the barrel. I mean, I, I would propose. <laughs> so, single malts are somewhere I see myself playing a lot in the future. The nose on this, I feel like I just walked into the malt house. Right? I can I mean, smell I it that. malting. I, I just, and that's a wonderful flavor. That's just a wonderful experience because you're taking me back to the first time I remember we walked into that malt, malt house yes. at Copper Fox in Virginia, and it was just what a great experience. Is that Rick? Bosmond? Yes. I haven't met him. But I've read I think that, him. yes. I love that he does that floor malting. That's very, very Yeah, cool. it's really cool. That is something that once I am able to manage a restaurant less, I would love to look into malting some of my own on the side. But I work with uh, Double Eagle Malt, which is down closer to you guys, and they make all that. If I say, hey, can we make some of this? They're like, yeah, sure, not a problem. We'll do some of that. We'll do some of this. They are in the process of making a larger smoker so they can smoke more grains for me because I am going to play with single malt. There is smoke on the palate. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that, like, so people get afraid. I don't like the peatiness. I don't like the smokiness. It's very subtle. This but is, it gives that pleasant just... This is nothing like an Islay scotch. This is just, it's not. Um, though I would love to make my own take on an Islay. It's very gentle. The smoke is. It really is. Oh, also, the fun part. What's, what's the fun you, part? I'll let you read that number on there. Yeah, I, I thought I was reading that wrong. <laughs> Are we reading the 115 proof? That is correct. Because it doesn't drink like a 115 proof. <laughs> it does. Like I, I can tell you that it does have more of a bite to it than even the rye and the bourbon do. But it's almost like, to me, an ice cube sitting on my tongue. That's good. And the proof just melts. It doesn't burn. There's a little bit of the back of my throat, that but that's what I want to do. That's what I want to enjoy if I know I'm drinking a high-proof spirit. Whiskey is supposed to have – I don't even describe it as a burn. I describe it as a warmth. Whiskey, spirits, they're high-proof. They need to have some kind of warmth or else – Right. Why bother? Correct. If they didn't have that warmth as you drank them, drink a beer. And I'm not saying that condescendingly because I also enjoy beer. It's just – it's not supposed to you're, – you're supposed to have some warmth as you drink them. I get the warmth, and the one thing I really get right now is just this wonderful tingling, this wonderful sensation just as as every as everything just kind of evaporates. The smoke that made its way into here almost, it almost lives more on your breath after you have it than it does on your tongue as you're tasting it, if that makes any kind of sense. It like, does make sense. Like, yeah, I can feel it more after I drink it than, than when I started to drink it. I don't know. Well, because your 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 senses become, you know, more open, the oils and everything, the esters start to get to play around a little bit. I so if I my my personal two favorite categories of spirits, um, I love rye whiskey and I love scotch. 
uh, specifically. I like scotch. Like they're, I love those ashtray peaty. Have you been? Did you get a chance to like have that experience? That's that's on the list. Okay, it's on the list. I did though because I I I can't imagine. This is my excitement because this is what you do. You know, this is your house. Now you take that and you go to where generations have produced scotch, and then you get to have that experience. I can only imagine what would happen when you come back and you start getting things together again and what you start producing. Got married in May, pushed last year, pushed off the honeymoon until the fall so we could start the honeymoon in London and go to the International Whiskey Festival, which was almost exclusively single malts. Uh, I got to talk to some people. I have some ideas. We're going to we're gonna put those ideas to work. Okay. But to actually get to go, yeah, that's going to happen at some point. When? I don't know. It's 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 a new experience. You get to be exposed to this, and then it open it opens up your creativity. It opens up everything you get a chance to do. The the craziest thing I think in this is just how different our processes are. I do grain in the whole way through. That's right. So uh, yeah. So some people do speak do, to that a little. Do bit. do do warts or I guess washes. Uh, not washes. That's gonna be wrong. Uh, so I grind the grain. Put it in the mash cooker. You're grinding stays the in. grain here. It ferments on the grain. I distill on the grain. At no point do we separate the grain from the liquid. Uh, traditionally, Scotch producers will start off like a beer, where they crack crack the grain, roll the grain. They're not grinding it as fine as I am. They steep it in water, hot water, for a while to pull pull the, the sugars out. Uh, I guess they pull starches out and convert. I don't know what the process of converting it. I don't make beer like brewers do. Uh, they basically make beer first, like a brewer does. So they have right. a clear wart, and that's what goes in the fermenter. The stuff I put in the fermenter looks like oatmeal. Oatmeal. Yep. And then, obviously, the still is going to do all the work to, but, pre- but to even create that, that spirit. Dis- distilling on the grain produces something entirely different from distilling on wort. Um, I've tried different stuff from other people. There's people that have made traditional whiskeys, like rye and bourbon, uh, traditional American whiskeys like rye and bourbon, and they have beer brewing setups, so they make it with wort and or a clear beer as opposed to a mash, and it just it never quite tastes the I way think I would I, want I, it to. Right, you could speak to this, but I think their goal is that the barrel's going to do all the heavy lifting to create that character and that flavor that they're looking for. Correct. It just, it, it, but also, it's another way of making it. Now, as soon as I say that, somebody's going to say, well, have you had so-and-so's? And I'm right, of course. There's, and, yeah, and of course. Amazing. Of course. Um, just a different way of doing things. Like, we, distilleries, we all do the same thing, but we all do it a little bit differently. Um, I was super nervous making single malt, spending all that money on all that malted barley, um, because I don't have a false floor in my mash cooker. I'm not set up to do that, nor did I want to do that. I wanted to make a single malt whiskey on the grain. I wanted to ferment, I wanted to cook on the grain, I wanted to ferment on the grain, I wanted to stay on the grain. It just releases different things when you're cooking. Um, somebody that was more involved on the science end as opposed to the arts end would be able to speak more thoroughly to that than myself. Uh, I just like whiskey that is fermented on the grain and cooked on the grain and everything. Well, thank you to you for what you like <laughs> because it's a it's a treat for us. That's my favorite. You're not throwing that. Oh my god! It went away. I got to work tonight. So much work. I'm gonna take a nap in my office this afternoon. All right. So, what are you producing that pays tribute to your family's heritage? 
and 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 that eleven year old grand grandfather sitting down and saying, "These are the plans for a still, Yanni. Go make one." Jobs. I think that's my grandparents' greatest legacy. They came over here, uh, literally on boats, naturalized, worked crappy jobs to save money to start up their own businesses, and then went on to employ uh, between both my grandparents, uh, it, hundreds and probably thousands of people. That's that's a legacy that they, they thankfully they're both still here. That's a legacy they'll be they'll leave behind. So the what I'm trying to do is carve out my own legacy. Um, and I think in doing that now in the short term, it's providing honest living, honest livelihoods to people. Now, I know you were alluding to alcohol, and I took it entirely I don't, direction. I don't, I love, I don't care. That's fine. But I, I think that's important. Jobs, um, strengthening my community the best I can, um, providing an honest living for people, and uh, trying to build something that will last after I am dead and gone. That is, that this is, is that your is, legacy. That this is, is my your legacy. family's legacy. That is my tribute to the sacrifice and risk that my family has taken to come here and get me to this point. I know, and we talk about legacy, I know we're in Gettysburg. Three wonderful, busy, bloody, horrible, incredible, impactful days. I can't say wonderful other than the fact that the history that it created and the changes in history that it created... But how did you come up with the name? What was were the name Mason Dixon? Uh, you just there was a lot of names I was thinking about, and then what I settled on was national distribution was never something I really thought about. For now, I, I the only thing I do is it's really on my front door mailing to Pennsylvania residents. Uh, but in in time, I figured if we could kind of carve out a little portion around us, kind of. Mid-Atlantic region, I knew that name would have strong recognition. I think if you go up and down the eastern seaboard and you say, where do you think Mason-Dixon Distillery is located? If you, even if you don't know us, I think you drop a map, you drop your finger on a map within a couple miles of where we are. Gettysburg is the most famous place associated with the Mason-Dixon line, north-south division, etc. Um, so that's that's where the name came from. Uh, the, the slogan that I have is, Taste the Legacy. And I think the legacy that the slogan is referencing is, taking that old history and the old legacy of what has happened here and blending it with my own legacy that I'm trying to create right now. Yeah, I would say the taste of legacy is your vision and your dream and your creativity. That's what I think the legacy is. You wouldn't be wrong. I I think I am taking a little bit of the old and blending it into my own. Literally because I'm growing on the battlefield. Literally because I'm in Gettysburg. Uh, but Taste of Legacy is predominantly the legacy that I'm trying to carve out. What's the last one we're going to try? The last one we're going to try out is a, uh, a much more literal answer to what are you doing <laughs> to pay homage to your I love it because I, 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 I had this, 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 you know, this pitch I wanted to give you, and you, know, you took it, and then you made me throw another pitch. <laughs> I'm not quite, I didn't like the looks of that pitch. It was 3-0, and oh, and, I, and I threw to you a ball that you could hit over the fence. <laughs> I uh, I love this stuff. Now, um, I, we've had this before, and okay. we love this as well. Perfect. And we've gifted this to people. Awesome. Because th- this is this one of those things that when people say, you know, I love, and like, what are we drinking? Uzo. Okay, I just. Uzo that I recreated from a recipe that I wrote down from what I made when I was in that 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old trying things out stage. The crazy thing about that is, is Yanni does not write things down. 
pretty much ever. Uh, it may be the number most number one thing my wife complains about me is my lack of organization. Just so happens when I cleared out all of my crap from my parents' basement at home to move out here to do this, I found my experiments of Uzo. And I had the recipe for every single batch in there taped to the side of the bottle. And I found one. Wait, so you saw the bottles? Mm-hmm. And they had, they had Uzo in them. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Wow. Blue painter's tape, fine tip Sharpie. Right oh, my God. It's, it's like you, you said 11-year-old Yanni or 12-year-old Yanni said, I'm making sure that, I don't know, I, you're in your 30s, right? That's correct. Okay. 30-year-old Yanni, I'm taking care of him. That's what, I mean, you didn't realize it, but that's what he did. didn't realize it, but that's effectively what I did. I thought I was just making sure I could come back and make it again. (laughs) And then it just got forgotten about for a little bit and in a corner. Uh, I did have to change it slightly to scale it up, but this is almost the identical recipe and ratio to what I would have made when, I think I made this right around when I was 12 years old. Um, 100 proof, because Uzo, I knew from the get-go, wasn't going to sell a whole ton. It's it's strong anise, strong black licorice flavor. Um, So I really wanted to make this for myself. There is... This is very similar to Sambuca, for those that haven't had Uzo before. um, Except for no syrupy anything. There is no sugar added to this whatsoever. This is... I make this the same way I make my gin, essentially, but I just change up the botanicals. Um... Even if you don't like black licorice flavor, I would suggest people try it if they're interested. Because I've had a lot of people say, I hate black licorice, but I love ouzo. Uh, this, this, this to me was always a very celebratory pour. Um, it's funny because this... I, I'm glad we finished with this then. That's perfect. I had an idea. You have a plan. <laughs> Greeks, uh, Americans of Greek descent, um, tend to go more towards Cipro, which is honestly my, my preference as well. It's it's, And that is? That's the stuff made from grapes. It's essentially Greek moonshine. Okay. Uh, same, same, very similar to And that's Grappa. coming at some point? I, it will come at some point. Okay. Um, that's like, so we talked about going to London. And so one of the distilleries we visited in, in London was Bimber Distillery. Okay. Bimber is Polish moonshine. Okay. And if you get to London... Go see Bimber okay. and what they're doing. But again, so now you're taking your family's heritage and you're making Greek moonshine and Cipero. I I think, like, if I had hair, I mean, it would just be on fire because I think that would be awesome. Batch number on there? One. You know what I made my first batch for? For you? My wedding. Oh, so this is wedding. This is wedding. We're batch two or batch Uzo. three. We're batch two or so batch this three. Is the this is wedding Uzo. Oh, yep. so so celebratory. I remember my my I, Easter. There would always be so Easter Greeks like lamb spit all day. It's barbecue. It's phenomenal. Um, there'd always be a bottle of Uzo or two that come around. Uh, when my father would come visit me in college to watch a lacrosse game, there was always a bottle or two of Uzo afterwards that my friends and I and him would all have. Um, it's just always been a celebratory thing for me. I I mean, I literally made the very first batch ever, labels and everything for my wedding. I mean, I think that pretty much... Uh, and then, cheers in Greek is yamos. Oh, yamos. And we, and we should definitely... Yamos. Yamas. Yamas. There you go. Yep. All right. I was going to ask you. On the nose, because you said 
there's some different botanicals to this. I forgot to smell it. I just drank it. Okay. <laughs> well, you've smelled it before. <laughs> but on the nose, I got a, I got pepper. So you, you, there are botanicals in there. It's, it's you, not just... Uh, the botanical bill is incredibly simple. There are a couple other things in smaller amounts, but this is mostly star anise and anise seed. Yanni, your grandfather who kind of gave you this spark to go build a still, what's his experience been to enjoy what you're producing? He was one of the first people that I brought any of the Tsipuro to, the, the moonshine that I made. Um, and he doesn't live far away from here. Uh, now, not... <laughs> Not the past couple of months with COVID because he is elderly, uh, but he and my grandmother will come in from time to time, try some stuff out. They're uh, they're more appreciative right now of the hand sanitizer I produce than the drinking <laughs> liquor because um, they are that is in, funny. in that susceptible yep. category, the vulnerable category. Um, I Probably a question I should directly ask him one day because I doubt that he would have ever guessed that telling me some things when I was 11 would have led to this. This. That's him. That's his legacy. Yep. That's absolutely his legacy. So, talking about your past, what's the future look like for you at Mason Dixon? Uh, so, a uh, couple months ago, pre-COVID, the answer would be different. Right now, the immediate future is uh, aggressively following mandates and health guidance to keep customers safe, to keep customers feeling safe, to do our part to try to make sure that our industry doesn't get shut down again. Um, also within that, aggressively following the rules while trying to maximize my business. I have now reduced to 32 seats inside. I have 122 seats outside. By the beginning of next week, I'm going to have another 36 seats outside. I figured if people want outdoor dining, we're going to lead into outdoor dining. We're going to we're going to max it out the most I can. I may get another emergency extension of premises, and I may add another six tables. I have also started to stockpile heaters because sooner than you know it, it's going to be cold. And I guarantee you we're not going to be raised from 25% anytime soon. Right. So that still limits your inside seating. But if you can find a way to create a warm atmosphere into, I guess, somewhere in December. I mean, I think if anybody's going to have all year round dining outside, it's going to be you. You'll find a way. Oh, I will. I have that huge 28-foot by 60-foot with 10-foot side tents outside. I also have have sides for it. Uh, I typically take it down the winter. It is not supposed to hold snow. I have already decided that it's staying up all 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 winter. (laughs) I have heaters. If I keep it warm in there, snow won't stick to it. It's going to be the same as rain. It's fine. I will end up spending a... Well, depending on how the winter is, good bit of money to make sure that that doesn't happen. And I may still ruin the tent top, which is not cheap, but 32 seats is not enough for my business to survive. Uh, but if we can keep, I don't know, just underneath the tent, but if we can have another 60, 80 seats underneath that tent while keeping spacing, yeah, we got a chance uh, within that as long as people understand that, hey, we're in a tent outside in the middle of winter. I'm not promising drinking, I'm going to make it 70, 75 degrees. single malt and all these great cocktails, that's I don't think day. that's a problem. Put a that's sweat- going to warm you up. Put, put a sweatshirt on and enjoy yourself. Right. Um, within that, I've seen the majority of customers have been amazing. I have uh, amazing in the terms of their support, amazing, amazing in terms of their understanding, um, and just right back to amazing to their support. I have always had regulars. I have had regulars since we have reopened. With 
a higher degree of frequency than, than I think I've ever seen. Um, I went to Halibaz, which is the orchard that actually grew the pear in the bottle earlier this week because I needed to go pick up some jams we get from them, and I picked up like 40 pounds of peaches because there's a lot of peach stuff on my menu right now. And I was walking out. Um, I was talking to two people there, two people that work there, and I went on my uh, rant about leaving the tent up, and there was an ex expletive or two in there, and a elder lady walking by turned and said, Yanni. <laughs> okay. And I expected to get a small chiding for choice use of words. Right. And instead what I got was, I support everything you're doing. We've been in a couple times. I haven't been in to sit down to eat yet, but keep fighting. We we have you. Like, that's that's been the most... Uh, Yanni, this is the first time we've had a chance to sit down. The, the times that we've been in here, you know, it's probably been you've, been... you've had a full day of distilling and doing everything to keep this open. But one of the things I learned about you, I learned a lot about you, but I learned that nobody tells you no. <laughs> and, and nobody's going to say you can't, and nobody's going to say you won't, because you'll find a way to make it happen. One of my favorite things to happen to me during finding contractors and getting ready for a build-out was there was a local contractor who was giving me some prices, and it just so happened the very first job I had out of college, official job, was estimating in this particular field of construction, so I knew what things should cost, and I was like, this ain't right. Well, fast forward a whole bunch, and uh, I found out he was, because I questioned him on his pricing, so he immediately became insulted, and he was going around telling everybody, not everybody, lots of people, that I was in over my head, didn't know what I was doing, and I was bound to fail. And I always kind of have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. That probably increased the depth of said chip on my shoulder. And um, I always think about that from time to time. And what I think about is, it's funny, um, I definitely was in over my head. I definitely didn't know exactly what I was doing. Uh, but it was the third thing that he was wrong and I was going to fail. And I refuse. I will, even through all of what's going on with COVID right now and shutdowns and partial shutdowns, um, I'm going to do absolutely, I have been doing and I will continue to do absolutely everything I can to make sure this place survives, my staff has a job, and that I can make sure that I'm still doing things to, to keep this here so it can outlive me. You are thriving. You're not just surviving. You're a significant part of this community. You are a reason why people should also be coming to Gettysburg. How do people find you? Where are you located? Physical address, 331 East Water Street, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I am active. Uh, my business page is active, and I am active because I'm the one running them. Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I haven't put any YouTube videos out for a while, but I suggest going and checking out. There's a channel. There's some cool behind-the-scenes stuff. You will hear me swear from time to time. My apologies in advance. Um, I keep an email list. I have a website. Um, those that are in Pennsylvania, I can ship directly to you, though I prefer to see you first so you can try your way through some stuff, decide what you like. Um, the Internet or in person, that's how you find me. This is how we find you. Well, I can tell you something. On our fermented adventure, Dawn and I are blessed and grateful that we have found you. Um, this has exceeded. This has exceeded my wildest expectations. So that's my question to you. And having to get sit down and talk to me and get to know me a little bit better than what you had before. Right. Does the experience you have as a customer surprise you at all, or is there something surprising to make between? Is there anything that 
lined up perfectly to your expectations, or maybe didn't? Today? Yeah, today, just now. No, this has exceeded everything. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, this has been a treat for us. This is great. And so what people need to do is get to Gettysburg. Yes. Come see Mason Dixon Distillery. Ask Yanni to see what's going on in a barrel back there or what bottle he's got rolling around somewhere. For sure. And try it. I, you know. And, get, and, and learn your legacy and get to experience your legacy and become a fan. We're fans. For sure. So thank you. I, I, quite welcome. My pleasure. Come see me. I'm happy to have everyone. Food's great. Drink's great. But if you're able to, come see the town. Um, come stay for a weekend. Gettysburg is a, is, a, is a small town with just the right amount of eclectic things going on. I mean, I think that the best liquor you're going to drink is be here. And I also think that some of the best food, if not the best food you're going to have, is going to be right here. But the town's awesome. Um, the battlefield is historic. It's got plenty to see. Um, and our town has been hit hard by the lack of tourism. So I want you definitely to come see me, but come, come see the town, come give my, come give some of my neighbors some support as well. Come to Mason Dixon, get that experience, go visit everything that Gettysburg has to offer and just enjoy. That's it. Just enjoy. Awesome. Well, we've enjoyed this as have I. Yanni, thank you so much. My absolute pleasure.